Trade tensions between the U.S. and China have been escalating amid a blame game between the two over the origins of the COVID-19 pandemic. Experts say the uh, rising tensions between the world's two largest economies could become a headwind for uh, various financial markets with greater repercussions for the overall global economy. So for further discussion on this, uh, we are pleased to be joined by the senior fellow at the uh, John L. Thornton China Center at the Brookings Institution, Dr. David Dollar on the line. Hello. Hi, how are you? Great to talk to you. Well, thank you for joining us, Dr. Dollar. Um, We have a lot to discuss here. First, uh, the, this controversial new security law that China is proposing to tighten control over Hong Kong last week, uh, Washington immediately threatened sanctions in response to this. Now, uh, it seemed like uh, Washington had been sort of wavering back and forth as to how vocal they would be uh, with these uh, alleged anti-democratic moves by Beijing over Hong Kong. Um, why do we see them perhaps... Uh, giving a bit more of an aggressive posture right now? Well, I think the Chinese Communist Party got tired of the big demonstrations in Hong Kong and frustrated with local Hong Kong government. And they haven't put out the details, but they're definitely going to cut back on the civil liberties in Hong Kong, freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, freedom from arbitrary detention. So that's a big issue in Hong Kong. The United States commentary, I'd say, has been mixed from the administration. President Trump has not said much, and the Chinese probably think he doesn't care that much about yeah. the issue. But but some other members of the administration said very harsh things on the TV programs over the weekend, uh, saying that the United States is considering taking away Hong Kong's special status so that Hong Kong people can come easily to the U.S. and trade and invest with the U.S. The U.S. is thinking of taking all that away. That would be very harsh. The Chinese leadership, they're going to definitely do this new law, and they're betting that the repercussions will not be that harsh. U.S. businesses are already complaining to the administration. They don't want Hong Kong's special status taken away because U.S. business uses it as a jumping-off point for doing business in China. Now, when we talk about the coronavirus pandemic uh, and how the U.S. has uh, basically accused Beijing of its perhaps uh, lack of oversight in the initial stages of this and even some conspiracy theories uh, by some prominent members uh, to to say that this might have emerged out of a lab in in Wuhan. Beijing, in turn, accusing uh, Washington of uh, not just lying about this, but also uh, perhaps a little bit of schadenfreude over Washington's perceived mishandling of the uh, pandemic in in the U.S. Um, Do they both have a point? Um, Why are they engaging in these uh, kind of uh, tit-for-tat war of words? The Congressional Research Service of the U.S. put out a very detailed timeline of Chinese actions. It's accurate to say that China wasted two to three weeks in notifying the world about the severity, and millions of people left Wuhan during those two to three weeks. So that's a fair Mm -hmm. criticism. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, our intelligence community has said there's no evidence that this came from a lab in Wuhan. Lots of evidence that it's natural phenomena, not man-made. So you're getting a lot of heated rhetoric from the United States about the virus lab in Wuhan, which has no basis in evidence. But then on the Chinese side, you've got these young 
diplomats coming up, so-called wolf warriors. Some of them have accused the United States of releasing the virus right. when the military games were played in Wuhan last fall. That's complete nonsense. So you've got pretty senior people on both sides saying complete nonsense, and that's a very dangerous situation. With um, It's interesting because you mentioned the... Uh the Trump administration, the officials perhaps say one thing. Donald Trump himself uh, seems to always uh, tout his uh, personal chemistry or relationship with Xi Jinping. However, uh, Donald Trump kind of um, kind of made his bones as this anti-trade warrior, particularly uh, this uh, more hawkish stance uh, against China in terms of trade. Uh, the recent developments uh, with this uh, rule change that could perhaps prevent uh, Huawei from uh, having a business relationship or stymie their relationship with the uh, Taiwanese chipmaker uh, TSMC. Uh, I think it's a little difficult for us lay people to understand. Uh, could you explain what's going on and, and how do you think China will respond to this? I'm not surprised that you have trouble understanding. Uh, I would say the U.S. government has no coherent China policy. <laughs> so you, seriously, I mean, so, you know, one day they take a pretty serious action that, you know, the U.S. sells equipment to the Taiwanese company, Taiwan Semiconductor. And now the U.S. is essentially extending its laws outside our borders and saying that Taiwan company cannot sell to Huawei, very specifically targeting Huawei. So quite a hostile act. Within a few days of that, the U.S. was also giving a waiver, allowing Huawei to sell 5G equipment in rural areas of the United States. Hmm. So I think when you look at the Trump policy, you'll see obviously lots of hostile statements and some hostile action. But then in a lot of ways, the Trump administration has been quite friendly to business with China. And naturally, that leaves people confused. So we know that uh, one of his top advisors in the White House, Peter Navarro, is uh, a noted China hawk, uh, uh, perhaps the, the, the loudest voice in terms of uh, being a bit more aggressive with this. How influential is his voice compared to, as you say, these, you see these sporadic instances of uh, uh, the U.S. Uh, tossing out some conciliatory gestures like uh, 5G to rural areas uh, from Huawei. Uh, this incoherent policy doesn't seem to be serving U.S. Uh, interests very well it, as far as whether we agree with this uh, uh, push to be a bit more uh, belligerent towards China in trade. Right. With China, it's very important to be consistent and clear. Whatever your policy is going to be, if you want to have a tougher policy, fine. It's very important to be consistent and clear. It's hard to know what the discussions within the administration exactly are like, but there are uh, officials who deal more with the whole economy, like the Treasury Secretary or the National Economics Advisor, they generally have discouraged the most hawkish actions toward China because they know that the New York stock market's going to go down if the trade war looks to be escalating or if there are other conflicts between the U.S. and China. So President Trump does have some advisors looking at the whole economy who clearly have tried to tamp down some of the more extreme views. And then you have Peter Navarro, as you say, and also Officials in the defense and, and the intelligence communities have taken a very negative view toward China. And that's maybe one reason why we get this inconsistent policy. You've got all these different voices and you don't have a very coherent decision making. 
This puts South Korea in a a very familiar dilemma. Uh, As it stands, uh, China is by far their largest trading partner. But for South Korea, these longstanding uh, security ties and this uh, decades-long alliance with with the U.S. also can't be ignored. Uh, How would you advise the South Korean policymakers uh, uh, as South Korea also wants to recover economically and uh, uh, perhaps sees China, which also seems to be coming out of the pandemic faster than the U.S., uh, as an opportunity to perhaps... uh, Uh, further economic cooperation? Well, my reading of the situation is that the the U.S. trade war prosecuted against China has not achieved very much. Uh, It's not really changed Chinese behavior the U.S. is unhappy with. It hasn't increased U.S. exports. It's impossible to know what will happen in the future, but I would say the lesson from the trade war is that the trade war is a really bad idea. Mm. I think we're going to see some worldwide trend toward protectionism because of the impact of the virus. And I think that's exactly the wrong response. So my advice to the South Korean government, any government, is to open up the economy even more than it currently is. That's how you attain efficiency in the world is you specialize in what you're good at and you import the goods and services you need to be globally competitive. So Korea is a great example. I just hope they stick with it. Yeah, the the issue is, though, if if it goes against what uh, the U.S. may approve or not approve in terms of uh, wanting a coalition against uh, China in terms of trade. Well, that does put you in a difficult situation. I don't think the U.S. will be successful in putting together that coalition. So probably the smart thing is to be polite and cautious as it's developing. Even Japan has really deep ties with China. Australia's got issues with China now, but it still has these very deep economic ties. I would say most of the developed world, in which I include Korea, has agreed on a policy of engaging China, and they may want to be a little bit tougher than in the past, but it's all within the framework of engagement. So if the U.S. really changes the calculation completely and says we're going to start a new Cold War and we want Mm. countries to separate from China, I I don't think countries are going to go along with the U.S. For one thing, there's a good chance within a few years that policy will be reversed. So you don't want to burn all your bridges with China. The U.S. will probably go 180 degrees pretty quickly. Very good point indeed. Dr. Dollar, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Yeah, great to talk to you.